Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. On this morning's CIO Strategy Snapshot, we will spend some time reviewing the latest UBS house view. Joining us for that conversation, glad to welcome back the Head of Asset Allocation for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office, Jason Dreho. Jason, welcome back. Hope you enjoyed a nice weekend. A lot to cover on this morning's snapshot, so looking forward to our conversation. Morning, Dan. Happy Monday. It's good to be here for another week late summer. Only a few more nice days left. I know, hard to believe that summer is coming to a close, but looking forward to moving into the fall. So let's update our listeners on the latest thinking from the UBS Chief Investment Office. As mentioned, late last week, we did receive the latest UBS House View. The title is When Elephants Dance, the monthly letter from Chief Investment Officer Mark Hafley. Within the letter, it was interesting, Jason, reading through it. It indicates confidence from the Chief Investment Office that the U.S. will avoid a recession over the next year. So curious as to what factors support this outlook and a notable shift away from what expectations were if we think back to the beginning of 2023. Well, it's been a pretty dramatic pivot uh, in the marketplace among investors, including ourselves, from where we thought the economy would be at this point uh, of the year at the start of January versus where we are now. If we just look at the data we got last week on uh, for the U.S. economy for July, retail sales, stronger than expected, and we had some major retailers report numbers again showing the consumers you know, still spending and still holding up quite well. We also got data on industrial production, uh, and that surprised to the upside. We're seeing upticks in you know, manufacturing, uh, investment, and production. Um, so the overall story is the consumers is doing well. The, the, you're seeing the, uh, the production side of the economy kind of bouncing off some of lows, you know, maybe signs of kind of coming back to life. As a result of the really strong data we've seen just for July, tracking estimates for the third quarter of GDP are now, you know, most of them are over 2%, is like 2 percent The Atlanta Fed has a GDP tracking estimate that's already at 6%. That's in kind of a quirk of their methodology. That's going to come down, but we're looking at another quarter of above-trend growth. So forget about recession this quarter. We're looking at growth you know, stronger than, than anyone would have assumed. Given the, you know, the economic momentum, the still you know, kind of tight labor market, it's hard to see the economy kind of rolling over you know, uh, you know, in the quarter or six months. Typically, when economies are growing at this pace, there's going to be some sort of moderation. You're going to see you know, more signs of a slowdown like the labor market. We'll see a slowdown with rising initial jobless claims. They're still holding you know, at very low levels. So the impact of higher rates thus far has certainly not deterred spending. It's not only deterred the economy. The rate-sensitive parts of the economy have suffered, like housing in 2022 definitely had a pullback, but it now looks like it's kind of stabilized and parts of it are kind of coming back. Uh, manufacturing tends to be more rate-sensitive. It contracted earlier this year, but there are signs that maybe we we're coming sort of towards an inflection point where it's bottom and it will actually pick up as we go into year-end. So all of that would suggest that very low recession risk for the next six months, a little bit higher as we think about the next 12 months, but with inflation coming down, Labor market strong, real income growth is positive, consumer holding up. We think we'll be able to avoid a recession, at least as a part of our base case. Now, this is kind of a soft landing over that 12 months, but I call it like a soft ish. It's not Goldilocks. You know, it's not a situation where inflation miraculously comes down, growth holds up, there's no implications of higher rates. We think things will slow down, but slow down to a point where growth is more around 1% of GDP growth versus going around to 0%. So, given that macro environment, 
uh, we've kind of upgraded the overall. But those are the key drivers, just a fundamentally better uh, backdrop for the U.S. economy as we head into the end of this year and the start of next year. Okay, so as recession risk has faded over the past month, interesting to note, long-end bond yields have also risen. Maybe we can spend a few moments on this. A tie-in your recent blog, Jason, which is titled Long Stem Roses. Within that blog, you do suggest that investors are now thinking more about the long-term outlook for the U.S., and that's a factor in the higher bond yields. What is that factor? Well, let's start with how much bond yields have risen. Uh, the 30-year Treasury is up 50 basis points uh, in basically the past month. Uh, we've seen a similar rise uh, on the 10-year Treasury yield, but the two-year yield really hasn't moved nearly as much. So it's really been a, a, the back end of the curve has the yields have risen. As a result, the yield curve has kind of steepened or become less inverted. Now, there are technical factors that are driving long-end rates higher. We think from a central bank perspective, you know, they're continuing to reduce their balance sheets. Uh, and the Bank of Japan in particular, a few weeks ago, announced they're going to uh, ease their yield curve control measures, meaning they're going to intervene less in buying Japanese government bonds to keep rates from rising. The knock-on effect is that that means there's fewer buyers for Japanese bonds and also, therefore, fewer buyers for treasuries. At the same time, the Treasury announced a much bigger supply than expected for the markets. So you have you know, buyers go down, supply goes up. You'd expect the you know, interest rates to go a little bit higher for technical reasons. There's also the element of a more fundamental story. As recession risk has receded, the need for the Fed to cut interest rates next year have also declined. So rate cuts for next year and even beyond have uh, declined by about three or four hikes. Meaning, if we take by the end of 2025, the market was expecting 59 rate cuts. Now it's down to about six, uh, either five to six, somewhere in that range. So it's priced out cuts. Again, that's the case. Then the back end part of the curve is going to go up. It's interesting that the market has not changed its expectations of how the Fed's going to raise rates. It's basically 40% chance of one more hike, and that's held steady for the past month. So it really is more about what is the Fed going to do next year and beyond. Uh, and this gets into the point about, you know, uh, uh, the blog that as investors are now kind of thinking, well, if we're going to get a soft landing, you kind of have to ask, well, soft land to what? What does the U.S. economy look like 2024, 2025, and really beyond? And what we're seeing now is if you don't have a recession, inflation stays high, the thought is nominal growth, nominal GDP, which is real GDP plus inflation, will be sustainably higher, certainly higher than it was for you know, the past decade, really the past 15 years prior to the pandemic, where it was around 4%. We've been running much higher than that during the past few years. And, you know, maybe it will come down, but come down to like a 5% level. Well, if that's the case, then you need interest rates that are higher than they were before. And the Fed doesn't have to cut rates ultimately long-term as much as it did before. So an interesting data point is that if you look in the market for saying, where is the Fed funds rate going to be five to 10 years out? Uh, it, that has actually risen about 50 basis points in the past month, so around three and a quarter to 3.75%. Uh, That's the market's essentially saying this is where we think the neutral rate will be, where the Fed's going to kind of settle down and kind of keep rates steady at, in that range. The Fed's own current long-term projections at about 2.5%, so that gap has kind of really opened up. And ultimately, I think a lot of this is just being driven by investors looking at sort of the, the long-term outlook being more optimistic because, you know, they can think about it, they can see we're not maybe get a recession, and that's helping to lift, you know, rates, you know, higher. Uh, so the long-stem roses title refers to kind of all not only long-end rates, but also, you know, something that we've been talking about and I've been writing about for the past couple of years of a 
kind of a secular bull case scenario for the U.S. economy where growth is higher than it was before. Uh, and so it's before you need a kind of rose dollar classes to see it. Well, now there's actually things going on in the economy that suggest this could really happen. So, um, you know, those rosebuds I wrote about in May, now maybe they're starting to become actual long-stem roses. Still an optimistic interpretation of it all, but the market's at least kind of thinking along those lines, and that's a factor in driving especially long and rates higher over the past month. So in terms of what this all means, Jason, for portfolio positioning, maybe we can spend a few moments talk about asset allocation per the latest UBS house view. To note, a major change in the house view for this month is the upgrade of equities to neutral from least preferred. So, Jason, what was the rationale for that decision and what specifically within equities is CIO recommending at the moment? Well, based on the upgraded macroeconomic forecast of no recession, you know, higher growth, higher nominal growth, therefore that should translate also into higher kind of earnings expectations. In really sort of simple terms, if you're going to be really kind of negative on equities and underweight, you have to sort of believe that a recession is coming relatively soon, inflation is going higher, the Fed's going to have to raise rates a whole lot more, um, and you're going to get a sizable pullback in equities. Well, at this point in time, we don't see a recession on the near-term horizon, and inflation is, is still coming down. The Fed is close to being down. They don't necessarily have to do more than they've already done. So that sort of takes away one of the arguments for being kind of really cautious on equities. Uh, that was a key driver in upgrading from kind of least preferred to neutral view on equities overall. In conjunction with that, we've upgraded our price targets for the S&P 500 uh, for December and for next June. For December, it's gone from 4,100 to 4,500, uh, and for next June, from 44 to 47. So between now and year end, it's you know, small upside, but you know, kind of flattish to slightly upside. Now to next June, given you know the current levels uh, of the S&P around 40, 4,360, it's about a seven and a half percent upside uh, to next June. So decent upside, below long-term average. You know, some, some modest returns, enough then to warrant a, an upgrade to you know equities, um, you know, to neutral view overall. Now we did keep our relative preferences the same. We still like emerging markets, particularly the kind of the China part, where it is sort of benefiting from central banks cutting, uh, benefiting from the Fed. You know, likely you know, being done or, or very, very close to being done. Uh, and part of the U.S. story is that it's still relatively expensive for U.S. equities, in particular the parts of the market. You know, these tech stocks have done fantastically well this year. So that's also one of the reasons why we still keep the message of look for equity laggards. You know, the rest of the market, you know, the valuation of the 493 other stocks, much more reasonable this time, uh, tend to be a little more cyclical. And so if the market uh, and the economy does okay, holds up as we expect, you know, there should be some catch-up in those parts of the market. So kind of those equity language are still what we think is relatively attractive. And the final thing I'll mention on the equity front in terms of changes, we did upgrade the financial sector from least preferred to neutral. At offset, we downgraded real estate from neutral to least preferred. Financials tend to be a little more cyclical-oriented. Uh, so an economy or macroeconomy that looks like it's going to be you know, better than anticipated, that's beneficial to financials. With the rates, uh, you know, the rate hikes kind of coming to an end and the curve likely kind of re-steepening, that also is favorable for sort of the basic model for financials. But it's also some of the regulatory challenges that have been floated, especially since the banking crisis began in March. We think most of those are done and sort of priced into the, um, you know, the stocks. Loan loss provisions and sort of losses and rebuilding kind of capital buffers, a lot of that has already materialized. So we don't see a lot of near-term catalysts that see financials underperforming you know, now more performing in line with the overall market. And that was the upgrade there. Uh, on real estate, is more of a story of that, you know, they've, um, there are parts of the market, at least they still should remain challenges. Interest rates uh, are high. Their earnings growth are likely to be less than the markets overall. 
Uh, and we've seen them underperform recently, uh, you know, as the markets have rallied, and we think that will continue. So bottom line is the macro picture looks better for equities overall. They led to an upgrade. But the general message in terms of kind of equity lag, which we still think that's the right way to, to position in this market. Okay, so that covers equities. Quite a few considerations there. Let's turn to fixed income. In light of rates going higher, Jason, what is CIO recommending in fixed income at this time? Well, the main message there is you know, to buy or invest in quality bonds. We think that's still the right message. The, there's definitely some concern as yields move higher. Will that cause damage to the economy, or could they even go higher? Now, ultimately, we think for, you know, the rates are kind of near likely peak. You know, some of this is a technical story as I alluded to earlier. Those technical challenges will, as a headwind, will ease off. And they could even sort of reverse. So the markets could, you know, the yields could come down a little bit just because those technical problems aren't the same issue. There's also some concern in the market about even sort of reacceleration for growth and for inflation. And therefore, the Fed maybe has to do more for longer. I think that is a little bit, I think it's a view we disagree with at this point in time. The Fed is hiked. Uh, you are seeing the restrictions of that hiking on different parts of the economy. These small segments right now, you can see you know, the labor market has moderated a little bit. You know, still relatively tight, but not what it was before. Um, other parts of the economy, you know, that are still rate sensitive. You know, some small businesses, some consumers, they're being impacted. The longer the Fed keeps rates at these levels, the more pain it's going to materialize. And therefore, we do think growth is going to come down and inflation is going to come down. And therefore, rates, long-end rates can kind of come down, you know, with them. If that's the case, given the kind of yields that are on offer right now with the 10-year around 4.25%, investment-grade corporate bonds, yielding, you know, almost 6% when you add in the spread. Uh, then you look at, you know, other you know, high-quality assets like municipal bonds, some attractive, you know, yields there, uh, mortgage-backed securities with a spread to treasuries that's relatively wide for essentially a risk-free asset class. So these, I think, all these areas of fixed income give you good return uh, just from a carrier income perspective at this point. And if yields decline, then you can be looking at sort of total returns between now and next June of around 10%. So it's important, while we've upgraded equities to neutral, it's important to note that bonds remain our most preferred asset class because in an environment where growth and inflation should continue to decline, it's certainly going to be good for bonds. You're given equity valuations overall, though, I think the upside there is a little more limited with certainly more downside. If there is a recession, bonds certainly will do well. Equities don't do well. So they're also a bit of a hedge in that environment. So kind of buy-quality bonds in the areas that I mentioned, high-quality munis, uh, investment-grade corporate bonds, mortgage-backed securities, and even for a little more income, you know, preferred securities look like they're kind of pricing in a reasonable spread given the overall risk environment. All right. Well, Jason, thank you for walking us through CIO's current thinking when it comes to asset allocation. Before we close out, I do want to follow up a bit from what we talked about last week, how markets have given back some of their gains throughout the month of August, and we did see some further selling pressure throughout the course of Last week's sessions, as we look ahead through the balance of the summer, Jason, what are some things that investors should be watching out for? Well, we've had a choppy you know, last few weeks, uh, and it's likely to be the case where markets are going to be choppy you know, going ahead because there's uh, you know, things to, you know, that to focus on. For example, this week, uh, the end of the week, is the Jackson Hole uh, Fed or Central Bank Conference in, in Wyoming. Uh, there will be a lot of focus on Friday morning around, I believe it's uh, 10 a.m., uh, Fed Chair Jay Powell will give a speech. So there's a lot of speculation what he will say. The thinking right now is that he'll reiterate a relatively hawkish message that they've made progress on inflation. There's more to do. They have to stay vigilant, uh, not really breaking any new ground, but certainly given the growth that numbers were seeing, given the fact that this could be inflationary, a lot of focus on what the Fed will say this week, but also the September FOMC meeting. 
another concern domestically is the potential for a government shutdown. Uh, they need to reach a deal and fund the government by the end of September because the new fiscal year starts October 1st. Given what happened with the debt ceiling, there's a lot of thought that you know the, the two sides won't be able to come to some sort of agreement by then. And frankly, even Republicans may not be able to come to sort of a consensus that they could pass something in the House on their own. So right now, that is a risk. There's also talk that they could pass a continuing resolution that would fund the government for you know, two and a half months to mid-December, so essentially kind of kicking the can down the road there. But that is, you know, as we move into September post-Labor Day, that will become more front and center. Another area that's keenly in the, in the focus of the markets are what's happening in China. You know, almost day by day, we seem to get data that's disappointing and showing further signs of, of weakness cyclically, but also a lot of focus in terms of the property sector and the knock-on effects for kind of banking markets and credit markets are these structural problems that could lead to a more significant, uh, you know, systemic problem that spills over to the rest of the world. Right now, the policy response has been relatively timid um, until that, you know, there's something bigger. I think China's going to remain certainly a, a source of more risk for the markets overall, certainly uncertainty. And then there's just the data we're going to get, not much between now and the end of the month, but as soon as we get to September, the August data will just sort of reaffirm, you know, the view that the economy is not slowing down at all, that inflation could reaccelerate or some of those concerns kind of overdone. So a lot to kind of digest in the markets where right now it's also late August, people are still taking vacations, liquidity is a little bit lighter until we really get post-Labor Day. So a lot of scope for market choppiness in the, in the time being. But ultimately our house view is really premised on at least a six to 12 month horizon. You're focusing on the June price targets, that's 10 months away. So trying to get sort of too cute a time, any of this sort of near term uncertainty, that's a risk. Fundamentally, we think the overall picture has improved, and that sort of warranted some of the position adjustments we've made this month. Well, Jason, that's some very helpful context explaining the market activity we've been witnessing lately. You mentioned the Jackson Hole Symposium as well. Coming up later this week, that'll be an interesting point to follow up on during our conversation next Monday, though. Jason, very productive conversation today. Thank you for dropping by, setting up the week, but also keeping our listeners, our clients informed on CIO's current thinking on the markets, the macro outlook, and of course, asset allocation. So appreciate your time this morning, Jason. Have a great week ahead and looking forward to picking back up with our conversation next week. You're welcome. Have a great week. Thank you, Jason. Again, today we have been joined by Jason Dreho, the head of asset allocation for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Before we close out, uh, just a couple of quick reminders in terms of publications, blogs we've been referencing this morning. Uh, Jason's latest blog, Longstem Roses, as well as the latest UBS Houseview Investment Strategy Guide, uh, both now available up on UBS.com slash CIO for clients of UBS. You may, of course, reach out to your UBS financial advisor if you would like to receive direct copies of these resources. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways 
and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.